Thank you, David. Good morning. Right, here we go. Do you know, it was back in the summer that Ali approached me and said, do you fancy having a preach? And, um, and I explained that this was not one of my primary gifts, or even secondary gifts. Um, but she said, oh, you know, you've got plenty of time to think about it. I'll give you some dates. So I chose the furthest date away from when she asked me in the distant hope that it would never come. <laughs> and yet here we are, some five months later, uh, and it's arrived. So, we are coming to the end of a series uh, about sacred spaces. Over the last uh, few weeks and months, we've been looking at... Um, what God says about the different aspects of our lives and how we live out our faith uh, in these different areas. So we've looked at home and schools and work and church. And this morning we're going to be thinking about neighborhood. And the overall theme of this series has been seeing... Uh, the whole of our lives as worship. So it's what happens between 12 o'clock on a Sunday lunchtime and half past 10 the following Sunday morning that's really important. It's, it's not just about church. Church is really important. It's important that we gather together that we can praise together, that we can worship together, we can encourage one another, build one another up. But it's what happens the rest of our lives that is really, really important. And how we live out the faith that we proclaim in those times is key. And there's a verse in Romans 12 that talks about our whole life worship. And in the New International Version, it says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Um, we're going to put up a, a slide here. This is the same verse but in a slightly different translation. Now, the first thing I've got to do is apologize for the typography on there. Uh, it was meant to look completely different, but good old Microsoft PowerPoint has completely messed it up. So if you imagine that that was a beautifully crafted piece of typography there, um, then you can appreciate it even more. However, I think God has done that to sort of humble me so that I don't take pride in my beautiful slide. But the words are the key thing here. This is how the message translates that verse I've just read. It says this. So here's what I want you to do 
God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. This is about our lives, and we're now going to talk about the sacred space that is our neighbourhood. So first of all, let's get some definitions sorted. For those of you who might not have uh, heard any of the previous sermons in this series, we're talking about sacred spaces. Now, what is it that makes a space sacred? It's the presence of God is what makes a, a space sacred. Now, in one sense, of course, that makes all spaces sacred because God is omnipresent. One of those great omni-words that we talk about God. He's omnipresent. God is everywhere, anyway. So, that's great. God is here, but he's also out there. God is everywhere. The writer of Psalm 139 writes this. Where can I go from your spirit, he says? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. He's saying, there's nowhere I can go where God isn't. Because God inhabits his creation. Psalm 19 declares, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. You only have to look up at the night sky and see something amazing. You see God's glory. The billions and billions of stars in our galaxy. The billions and billions of galaxies that there are in the universe. God is there revealing his glory. There's nothing more better I like to do than on a cold winter's night, clear, to go out and look up at the stars. And, and it's just stunning. It's just stunning. We were blessed recently with a visit from the Northern Lights over Stonehenge. Did anyone see those amazing photographs? I mean, I, I, I looked at them and thought, well, that, can't, that must be a bit of an AI going on there, because it just looks too perfect. It looks too beautiful. But apparently, that's what it looked like. The heavens declare the glory of God. And then Paul, writing in Romans, says this. Look, the basic reality of God is plain enough, he says. Open your eyes, and there it is. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their eyes as such can't see. 
eternal power, for instance, and the mystery of his divine being. So generally, God is all around us. But specifically, God is in us. As part of his creation, he's in us. So, way back when, God created the heavens and the earth, and God was present, but he couldn't be seen. So, to make himself more visible, he sent his son Jesus, God incarnate. We look at Jesus, and we see God. He looked like a man. He was a man. So we could relate more easily to him. So we saw who God was. But then Jesus was crucified. Jesus died. He rose again. And he went to be back with his father in heaven. But he left his spirit with us. Jesus promised that his Holy Spirit would be with us and live in us when he left. Paul declares that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, Christ lives in us. Galatians 2, verse 20, by his Spirit. So, we carry something of God around in us all the time. Now, let's just think about that for a moment. The God, who we've just been saying, is huge, magnificent, stunning, glorious. The God who we see revealed in the heavens. The God who is just beyond our imagination, even. That God is in us. Do you know, the latest astronomical thinking is that the universe may well be infinite, that there's no end to it. And the God who created that, the God who spoke it all into existence, lives in us. Amazing. Amazing. So, when we live out our lives, wherever we are, in whatever situation we find ourselves, God is there. So therefore, these spaces become sacred. So another quick definition, neighbourhood. We're talking about neighbourhood this morning. Um, we know from other parts of the Bible that we're to treat everyone as our neighbour. The parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus is asked, well, who is my neighbour? And, and Jesus demonstrates that it's not just the people that we live next to. It's not just the people we know and like. Everyone is our neighbour. And that's whom we should have, uh, um, we should live our lives amongst. But this morning, we're specifically looking at those people we live next to. Our neighbourhood. The people who live next door to us, in our street, in our communities. So... What is it to be a good neighbour? The first thing I want to say, I want to quote a very wise person now. Uh, she said this. Thanks, Deb. <laughs> you don't have to be a Christian to be a good neighbour. 
But if you are a Christian, you don't have a choice. Okay? So let, let me, let's be clear. What we're not saying is, because we're Christians, we're better than everyone else. We're not saying that at all. We're all different. We all have different uh, gifts. We have different strengths. We have different characters. God has made us all different. Praise the Lord. Deborah and I are very blessed to live where we do. That's our neighbourhood there. That's, that's our little group of houses. That's us surrounded by our neighbours. We're very fortunate. Deborah mentioned at the beginning uh, of the service that our garden was once a mess. Well, it's not perfect now, but it's looking a whole lot better than it did because God has blessed us with three professional or semi-professional gardeners in our close who have been very generous with their advice, their tools, their plants, more advice, <laughs> their encouragement. Fantastic. Our Friday evening gatherings are absolutely enriched by the fact that we live next door to a pastry chef, uh, someone who can bake bread, and Dolly, who makes the best lasagna you've ever tasted. My second favourite food, and it's the best version of that. So, amazing. They can do things that we can't, and they're much better at some of those things. As Christians, though, God invites us to live lives with his help that are better than we can be by ourselves. Not better than anyone else, but better than we are, and better than we were. John Newton, the slave trader, who wrote Amazing Grace, that wonderful hymn, said this, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not the man I hope to be. But by the grace of God, I am not the man I used to be. So we're on a journey. God is transforming us. And that happens by the Holy Spirit that lives in us. That Holy Spirit we were talking about just now. The Spirit who gives us a God-given meaning and purpose to our lives. The purpose we were always meant to have. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There is a purpose to our lives. Um, Max Lucado, Lucado, I can never remember how to pronounce his name. Anyway, he's a famous writer, Christian writer. He says this, you weren't an accident. You weren't mass-produced. You aren't an assembly line product. You were deliberately planned, specifically gifted, and lovingly positioned on the earth by the master craftsman. So we have purpose and meaning. 
in our lives. We have the Holy Spirit within us to guide us. He prompts us. He nudges us. He tells us when we're doing things wrong. He shows us the right path. He enables us. He strengthens us to do the right thing. He's the very life force within us. And he helps us to be intentional about what we do. He helps us to be careful about what we say and even how we say it. Galatians 5.25 says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So, what does a Spirit-filled life look like? How does the way we live make a difference to our lives and, hopefully, the lives of the people we live amongst? Well, Galatians 5.22 makes it very plain, very simple. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, the challenge is not to pick one or two of those that you think you might manage. The challenge to us as Christians is that it's the fruit of the Spirit. It, it's all of these things. We're meant to be all of these things. We're, we're, all, we're meant to be full of love and demonstrate joy and have peace and be patient and kind. All of these things all the time. That's what a Spirit-filled life looks like. It's easy, right? <laughs> It's actually impossible. Deborah mentioned earlier, it's, it's impossible. We, we can't live like that all the time. So what's the reality then? How, how do we make a difference in our neighbourhoods? Well, first of all, we have to absolutely rely on God and his Holy Spirit and be in tune with that Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So, I want to encourage us this morning. God is not asking us to do impossible things. He's going to do the impossible things through us. He's the one who can do anything. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you this morning if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. Wow. So, what do we do? How do we live out this life? Here's a selection of suggestions in no particular order. We should always put others first. God's word encourages us to put others first, to consider the others better than ourselves. So we think about others first. We think about the things that we say and do and how that might affect someone, how they might hear our words. And so we're careful about how we speak. 
we're careful about what we do. We should be thoughtful, kind, and patient. Now, we know that we're not perfect, and we know that at times other people aren't perfect either. We can all be a bit annoying and frustrating at times. But we're meant to be gracious. We're meant to demonstrate that same grace and mercy that God has shown us. We're meant to show that to other people. We're meant to reflect something back to other people of what God has shown us. And you know, it doesn't take much to do that. We were shown incredible kindness when we were moving to this area. We were having a nightmare of a legal process in buying and selling our houses. And solicitors weren't talking to other solicitors. Information that should have been easy to get wasn't being even asked for. And we were so blessed that the gentleman who is now our neighbour, but he wasn't our neighbour then because we hadn't moved, was really, really helpful in collating that information for us, giving us information about the house we were about to move into that our solicitor couldn't get hold of, and then passing it on to us, and we could pass it on to solicitor. So, so helpful. Now, he, they, he didn't have to do that. He didn't know us then, really. But out of the goodness and kindness of his heart... That's what he did. He's the same person who made tea for us all on the day of the move when we couldn't find our kettle. We had no milk in the fridge. The fridge wasn't even on. In fact, we didn't even have a fridge at, uh, at that point. <laughs> but, you know, he was prompted to put the kettle on and ask us all if we wanted a drink. It's a simple, small thing, but it was a massive act of kindness. And I've not forgotten it. One of the most valuable commodities, in fact, probably the most valuable commodity we have, is time in this world today. Everything is at a rush. So just take some time to talk to your neighbours. Take time out. Be intentional and stop what you're doing and go and talk to your neighbour. Over the fence, over a cup of tea. It's a small thing. We can all talk. So let's just, let's do that. More importantly, take time to listen to one another. Someone once said that we've been given two ears and one mouth for a reason. You know, we're meant to listen more than we talk. And when you listen to what people have to say, you get to know them better. You get to know how they think. You, know, you get to know what their fears are, what their loves are, what gets them excited. You get to know them better. And that will help inform our prayers for our neighbours. Be ready to help. Be ready to help. If someone's got a computer problem and you can fix it, go and fix it. If someone needs something scanning and sending somewhere, 
Just do it. It's not a difficult thing. But do it. And do it with joy and enthusiasm and gratitude that you've had an opportunity to help. Offer to help with their shopping. We've got a very elderly neighbour in, in the close. And, um, well, actually, she gets all her shopping from Mercado, so that doesn't count. <laughs> but, you know, if there is an opportunity, ask people if they need help with, you know, something as simple as that. Practice hospitality. Eating together is an amazing thing that you can do, especially when you live next door to pastry chefs and lasagna experts. <laughs> Everyone eats. It relaxes us. We talk when we're eating. And it's, uh, it's a marvellous thing. Let's not pretend that we're perfect. We've already said we know we're not. But do you know, humility is a tremendously attractive character trait. And when we're humble, we'll be less ready to judge one another. We sang in our opening hymn, slow to chide and swift to bless. Let's be like God in that, in that respect. Let's be really slow to be angry. Let's not respond quickly to what uh, people might say to us that we don't agree with and be swift to bless and if we get to know people in this way then we'll be there when the bigger issues of life come crashing in on their lives illness bereavement relationship troubles And it's important that we're there at that time because we have something positive and life-changing to talk about when the occasion arises. We have a hope as believers in Jesus that the world doesn't have right at this moment. We have a hope that actually the mess that we're living in today is not the end of it all. That actually there is something ahead which is far better. For those who put their trust and faith in Jesus, everlasting life is coming. Where there is no more pain, there is no more suffering, there is no more war, there are no more tears. This is the hope we have as Christians. And what better thing to share with those around us who don't know that same hope? We can shine God's light in on the dark situations. And we can pray. But you kind of have to earn the right to do that with people. Do you know, it can be really scary and daunting prospect to actually open up a conversation and specifically start talking about God. It's easier to be sort of more general and all those things, you know, lovely and good and kind. But actually, at times, we have to mention God and we have to say who God is and how God can help them in those situations. 
Because we've experienced that help ourselves as Christians, have we not? We have accepted God's gift of forgiveness. We know what it is not to have to live with the guilt of the bad stuff that we know we've done. We know his merciful love. We know something of his life-transforming power. And so we should be motivated to share those things with our neighbours, with our friends. Our motivation is love. It's as simple as that. Our motivation is love. We love one another. God loved us. And so we are meant to love one another. And if we love one another, we don't want to see them hurting. We don't want to see them in pain. We don't want to see them without hope. It really is not meant to be more complicated than that. It's God's command. Love one another. Originally, God gave ten commandments to his people as a framework for how to live. The first ones are all about our relationship with God. It moves on to our relationship with our family. And then it lays out some five rules for living that will help us live better in society and in community. So don't steal. Don't lie. Don't be envious of what your neighbour has. Don't murder. The Jewish leaders and teachers decided that that was great, but they needed to sort of flesh that out a little, because it was perhaps too simple, and they needed to make sure that every eventuality was covered. So they came up with another 603 laws and commands, a total of 613 things which you should or should not do, making it pretty much impossible for anyone to live by. And making it that everyone felt guilty for not being able to do that. They were under condemnation of the law itself. But then Jesus came along, and as Jesus always does, he makes things simple and straightforward. When he was asked, well, what's the, what's the greatest commandment? He said this. He boils it down to two things. The whole, of, the whole of this boils down to two things. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That's number one. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So there you go. We're to love our neighbours as we love ourselves. The better we know people, the more we love them. And we'll want to demonstrate God's love to them through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. For God so loved the world, John 3.16 says, 
that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So, in conclusion, it's a work of God. God loved us. We should love others. We can do that in a number of practical ways. But if our motivation is love, then everything we do, everything we'll say, will hopefully be helpful and a blessing to those we live next door to. It's not us. It's all of God. And we will get it wrong. This won't come as a surprise to my neighbours. We will get it wrong. We will make mistakes. We will say the wrong things. We will forget to do what we said we'd do. And that would be really annoying. And so I'm sorry about that. But 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9 says, God's power is made perfect in our weakness. Let's just accept that humbly before God, that we are not perfect. But when we accept that, and allow God to do that work in us and through us, then his power will be made evident. So God's call on our lives, I think, is to be ourselves, to be the people that God created us to be. Individuals, all different, but striving to be the better version of ourselves that God wants us to be and allow him to work through us, and so create sacred neighbourhoods. So, here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God, as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Amen. <laughs>